the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use later. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember, the time to set up your line of credit is today, not when the emergency that you have actually comes up. And considering that it doesn't cost anything to set up, and if you're not using it, you're not required to use it, it makes complete sense. I can't tell you how many times... I get clients who sign up the right way in advance and then use their line of credit because they didn't think they were going to have to later on and come back and say, um, thank God I got the line of credit in place. And, uh, and then I also have the opposite effect where people come to me in an emergency because they didn't move forward originally. So again, please consider it nonprofitmbapodcast.com if you'd like to learn more. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Tom Ahern from Ahern Communications. Uh, 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 the New York Times calls Tom Ahern one of America's most sought after creators of fundraising messages. He is the author of six well-regarded how-to books on communicating profitably with donors. Tom, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Well, thank you, Stephen. I look forward to this. So, you know, before we even get into today's topic, and today's topic is the fundraising dilemma, people donate, continue donating, then never donating again. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Well, my background is a little different than a lot of people in the fundraising sector. And um, by the way, <clears throat> this seems to surprise a lot of people. The nonprofit sector is now the third largest employer in the United States. Wow. So it is a large and very quickly growing sector. Uh, I think we have now in the last 15 years doubled the number of nonprofits uh, in the United States. And that's in some ways a reflection of uh, increased population, but also increased problems because a lot of nonprofits are there to solve some or try to solve some specific problem that has emerged. Um, the My background is actually hard marketing, commercial marketing, selling stuff. And I was trained in that field uh, as a, for instance, direct mail copywriter. I went and got an advertising um, certificate from the Rhode Island School of Design. It took four years of night classes and getting hammered a lot by my very tough professors who would not accept anything but um, <clears throat> surprises. And uh, I learned my trade and I started practicing my trade and I was selling all sorts of things, including uh, 
industrial roof membranes, uh, luxury yachts, uh, adult education, and it was working. We, uh, I had a small agency with a partner, and we did very well. We uh, managed over a course of about a decade to win three large international awards for results, not beauty contest awards, but we actually brought in you know the the revenue and the the uh, customers that uh, uh, improved you know, results for these businesses. Then my wife, who had been a so-called director of development, chief fundraiser for a regional theater company, she had been an independent consultant in board development and fundraising for, uh, at that point, about 12 years. And she leaned over, but we had home offices, so it was yelled up the stairs and said, could I help with one of her clients who needed some direct mail written? And I said, yeah, of course, I guess. Um, And I then spent about six months reading everything I could get my hands on to uh, kind of update the fundraising part, because I hadn't really done fundraising. It is a different uh, specialty. Um, And once I sort of had... uh, uh, acclimated myself to the realities of the fundraising world, I started working in that world. And eventually, that about five years, that became exclusively my uh, customer base. Wow. So, so when we look at the topic, which is, you know, we're going to get into really the nuts and bolts of our, our topic, the fundraising dilemma, uh, people donate, continue donating, they, then they never donate again. If you had to put your finger on one thing that lets us talk about smaller nonprofits under $5 million do wrong mm-hmm. when it comes to this topic, what is that one thing? <clears throat> well, there's, there, there's a favorite villain here, which is that you are not very good at uh, thanking people for their response. But I think in the, the answer is actually a little more complicated than that. Um, I was just looking at the data yesterday, in fact, and the uh, it has been consistent for a very long time that of first-time donors, um, only uh, three or two of those first-time donors make a second gift. Now, that... Um, has gotten worse with the advent of what's called peer-to-peer fundraising, which is, you know, sponsor me. I'm going to run in this charity race. Will you um, throw in 10 bucks or 25 bucks and and sponsor me? And I'm going to raise money for charity. Well, that's peer-to-peer that you're talking to your friends. They don't really have a connection to your charity, the charity. They have a connection to you. And so if you're not coming back to them in a peer-to-peer environment and saying, well, okay, I asked once and you responded, will you respond again? Then there's no real motivation for that particular donor to stick with the charity. That's one problem. Another problem is people uh, sometimes are responding. For instance, the Haiti earthquake, uh, everybody remembers, it was turned out to be a fundraising phenomenon 
um, people from all over the world were sending money uh, to the Red Cross as fast as possible because it was being dragged through the front pages of the news. Now, did those people give twice? No, that was an impulse purchase. And I think a lot of times charity is something of an impulse purchase. We see an ad, we feel sad, and we say, I, I, I'm going to do something about that. And you do it for reasons of your own. Sometimes it's because, um, as one of the uh, Christian faith-based charities uh, says, you are, quote-unquote, following in the footsteps of your faith. Jesus said to help the poor, so you're helping the poor. And every major religion has a strong... um, theme of helping the poor. Muslims, Jews, everybody does this. So that is, you know, sometimes these are impulse purchases. We kind of look at it as where, where did they go when they don't make that second gift? And the answer is, well, they never intended to make a second gift. Hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a multitude of, of, of reasons. I mean, since you've been doing this, what do you usually counsel your clients to do about it? Well, these days there is a real answer. Uh, one is, try, first of all, try to get the right people in the door in the first place. That is people who have some um, stronger emotional reason for identifying with your particular charity. And the second is you would emphasize uh, monthly giving over annual giving. The reason being that if your biggest problem, one of your biggest uh, obstacles is that most people, the majority of first-time donors do not make a second gift, which the data you know, has supported for decades, um, then how do you get around that? Well, you get around it with assigning them up in the first place for multiple gifts, which is what monthly giving does. Yeah, I, you know what, you know, this is like, I think my 50th uh, podcast and, it, you know, the, the theme that there's, there's a couple of things that have come out from, from, from experts like yourselves and our guests. And one of them is you have to take a step back and understand who you are, what you're about, and also identify the type of donors that you really, really want. And, you know, I think the tendency for most nonprofits is to just go out and try to get any money you can from anybody, whether it be $10, $100, you know, you certainly like $100,000, but you just go and you go without thinking. Whereas I think the, the right move, and based on what you're saying to me, Tom, is to really pick and choose after you've done the, the homework of saying, this is who we are, this is what we do, um, and these are the type of donors we want, and then going out and trying to search for those type of people. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Um... You know, acquisition, that's the part where you're bringing in uh, new donors, first-time donors, is a, um, 
it's a very, very, very hard place to work. And I'll give you an example. In direct mail, for instance, I've had several clients say, oh, it is just so awful. We're doing so poorly. We send out our appeals and we only get a 1% response. And that mm-hmm. means they sent out 100 and one gift came back. Right. And they consider that because that number does seem quite low, 1%, uh, a failure. Now, the truth is, and this is where it's very important to know what your industry um, metrics are. The truth is that's a roaring success in direct mail world. Yeah. Acquisition is tough, tough, tough. You usually spend two bucks to raise one buck and you're going to be in the red until you get those people to their second, third, fourth, fifth gift. And um, so the question is, what are you doing with the rest of your relationship with these these 1% people that do say, okay, I'll trust you, first date gift, and usually that first date gift is quite small. In the United States, the average gift for uh, a donor who gives less than $1,000 is 25 bucks. That's a first date gift. And yet, we know from different um, data that the major givers of tomorrow for your organization, the people that are forking over a thousand, ten thousand, twenty-five thousand, a hundred thousand, maybe putting you in their will, those people start as a twenty-five dollar gift and then they learn to love you. Now why do they learn to love you? In part, that's up to you. You have to love them first. And if you like your donors, they will like you back and they will express that affection through giving. Yeah, I so I think that most nonprofits you use like a funnel system, right? You kind of get as many people you, as you can into the top of the funnel. And then what spits out at the bottom are people that donate. And then when you get those people who donate, you go through them and see if any of them have a bigger potential to have a, a you know, a, a rather large uh, donation. Um, and I, and I, I think I was suggesting that, you know, you don't want to put people in the top of the funnel that, you know, only make $25,000 a year. So make be a little bit more selective. Um, perhaps the the fascination with wealth um, distorts, I think, okay. fundraising quite a bit. And mm. it is not that you are trying to raise money from people that only have uh, a small amount and are just barely making their bills. Uh, they do contribute. Um, yeah, I was exaggerating, but yes. You know, but the the truth is, and that's why let's let's take a sidebar here. One of the things you'll hear often from, uh, particularly from board members, hoping to come up with uh, solutions to how do we close the budget gap, is we need younger donors. Well, you don't actually need younger donors 
people age into their prime giving years, and those prime giving years start at around age 55. Um, before then, they're building their life, and they're spending pretty much everything that's coming in the door. So what you're looking for are people that have surplus income, whether it's a little bit or a lot, um, is kind of not all that relevant. People give to you based on their capacity uh, on what is surplus to them. So if I give you $10,000, it's because I can afford to give away $10,000 and it doesn't change my lifestyle. Same for $10, same for $10 million. None of these are changing anybody's lifestyle, these gifts. And so um, my, uh, my view of this, and I work with a lot of community foundations, and I find community foundations kind of stuck in that we must chase the rich rut. Um, you know, look at their boards. They're typically flushed out with people of wealth from their own communities. And my, my feeling, and, and this is based on data, not on my <laughs> just opinions. I try to have no opinions, frankly. Um, is that they're missing a huge opportunity, which is the middle of the pyramid. Most of the country, you know, let's put aside the, um, the gutting of the middle class, which seems to be front page news. Most of the country is middle class. And, mm. and an estate in the United States will probate probably for a million dollars on average. And so can, the, can an estate like that, for instance, put a gift in its will for charity and not hurt any heirs? Yeah, of course. They could easily put in a $25,000 gift or 2% of the estate gift. And those are, that's big bucks. Now, most charities, for instance, don't chase bequests very effectively uh, or rigorously because they think of it as tomorrow dollars. You know, we're going to, we're not going to see that for 20 years. Well, that's not true. Actually, the pipeline starts to flow. If you're promoting bequests, your pipeline of those bequests starts to flow within three to four years and it doesn't stop flowing. And there's a good reason for that. And mostly because people update their wills as they get to the, um, what the CDC says is going to be their lifespan. And, you know, and, and so, yes, they update their will. And two years later, in fact, they do die. And then the, the, you know, the will is probated and the charity benefits. So, um, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, assumptions in the charity world. And, and you mentioned that most of your, uh, charities are a certain level and below, five million annual in revenue and below. Those are the ones who tend not to have too much professional expertise on the inside. They they well, they can't afford it to be to be frank. I mean, if you're looking at a big big charity like some of my clients, they have staff that do everything. And the, those staff, they're all professional, they're all well-paid, and they run analytics all the time. A smaller charity doesn't do that, so they often run on presumptions and assumptions, and most of those uh, are not actually actionable or even right. Yeah, so I, I want to go back to something you said early on uh, in the conversation, and that is, you know, the the last part of today's topic, and, we're, you know, we're not talking about the last part now, but the last part is then never donate again. 
from what I hear you saying, uh, it's the thank you that causes them never, you know, I'm using that. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're not just saying, oh, thank you, right? It's it's the process of the thank you that causes them never to donate again. Is that what you're saying in regards to that part for the number yes. one reason? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Steve, the, um Basically, if you give me a lousy customer experience, I won't be your customer again. And, uh, and of course, the, um, the reverse is true. So you're trying to give them a surprisingly warm welcome to the family that makes up your, your donor base. Um, you know, the family is the staff, the people served, the people that support the charity. All of these people together make a unit that is trying to accomplish something in the world make things a little better for somebody. And um, and so one of the constructs that you use is you know, we're going to welcome you to this family. You're going to be an important part of this family because the truth is most charities uh, have a fairly small donor base. Even large institutions like, um, let's say, a university, the number of people giving is relatively small. The average uh, for universities in the United States, now the average is not a, is, is about 12% of alumni give, right? Now, it can be way better than that. Like Princeton, it's around 63% of alumni give, but there's a reason for that. And uh, part of the reason is it has uh, the, that university has worked very hard since the 1930s to inst inculcate incoming freshmen with the concept that charity matters, that philanthropy has built that university, and that someday it will be their turn. Right? Yeah. So the so makes sense. I so I. How would you prioritize? So, what 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 are some of the things that you would do to make your thank you process uh, deeper, more, uh, uh, better? Uh, I mean, I, I tell you, I think most most uh, uh, nonprofits would say that's the fun part of the job, and yet we're not doing it very well. So what, why? Why are, why are nonprofits first not doing a great job with the quote-unquote thank yous? Yeah, well, they don't recognize, they don't realize uh, how important it is. There's actually three parts to donor communications, and they work together as a system. They're not uh, isolated. The, uh, the three things are you ask for my help. You thank me for that help if I give it, and then you report back to me what you what the philanthropy has done, because we know from repeated donor surveys over the years that the number one um, doubt that and doubt is not a good thing. It, you know, it, it erodes trust. Um, is about what did you do with my money? They don't know. Yeah. You know? And a lot of charities, um, because they don't have training in, in 
in the marketing communications aspects of donor communications, they don't realize what a, uh, a, a black hole that is when you don't report back. So they do a very poor job of it. What they talk about is their programs and all the wonderful things they're doing inside. You know, what is, how great the staff is, how great the mission is and all the rest of it. They don't talk about how important, for instance, uh, donors who get past their inertia are. I mean, the biggest problem in fundraising is not um, that, that you didn't make a strong ask. The biggest problem is that most people, it's much easier to do nothing than to do something. So you're getting killed by inertia all the time by everybody, even if they were uh, naturally inclined to care. And after all, we are empathetic creatures. We're a social you know, animal. And we tend to, if somebody says, oh, somebody's hurting and you can help, the, the tendency is to go, well, I should do that. But then how many actually do? A, a fairly small number. Do you think that, um, that nonprofit, nonprofits should be focusing less on getting new uh, donors and more on the thank you portion? They need to focus um, on on those things equally. What what mostly happens in my observation is they uh, they may have gone to a conference or two and heard this very same kind of uh, advice about <clears throat> thanking being so important, uh, and then but maybe 90% of people who hear that advice don't actually execute well on it. Uh, for instance, we know some research indicates that if you call, doesn't mean you have to actually reach anybody, you can leave a message, but if you call a new donor within 48 hours thanking that donor, you're much more likely to get a second gift from that donor. And in part, that's because you've given them a surprising experience. Uh, when a board member calls me because I've made a gift to a new charity, they are one out of a hundred charities that I've given to that did that. So it's an unusual event and it's memorable as well. Um, so the next time you come and ask me, which you probably need to do more often than you think, a lot of charities are very, particularly at the small end, are very shy about asking. They're almost embarrassed. And that's not how you do this. This is in Marketing 101, you keep coming back to me probably two, three, four times a year asking for my help. Now, if at the same time you're not coming back to me when I do help and saying, thank you, we love you, we love you, we love you, uh, or you're not coming back to me with any kind of reporting on what philanthropy is doing in, uh, in the world to make the world a better place, well, you're going to, you, you know, you're, you're, response rates are going to start to erode. Yeah. You know, and I, I will add to this, Tom, too. I, I have two situations. One of them is uh, the advice, one of the, not advice, uh, I guess I would say advice is that it, it can't be a numbers game, like sending out an email thanking me and, you know, about the donations I, I, I make. I, you know, my, my, one of the, uh, big places that I donate quite a money, about a minute of money to is my university. And, you know, 
I'm sorry, but you know, sending out an email to say thank you for the thousands of dollars that I've sent to them this year, you know, it doesn't really cut it. It's, it, <laughs> you know, you need to be personable, you know, yes, and, and it needs to be a person, you know, um, and, you know, that's a little, and, and like you said, I, I like to know, you know, how my money helped. So the second scenario I have just, just recently happened. So my mother is 97 years old. Um, she's doing well, but a year ago, we decided to get her a, a live-in. And the woman who lives there, fantastic woman from Ghana, I met her daughter. And her daughter has two uh totally amazing foster children. Hmm. And um, they, one of the, the boys who's nine years old has severe ADHD, but I, I can't tell you how respectful these kids were, how affectionate, how funny, how personable. It was amazing. I was so impressed. And I, I honestly, I have two good kids myself. So not like I'm saying, oh boy, I wish my kids were like that. You know, these kids were really, really good. And I want to, I, I, I'm going to say to her now is, uh, tell me what you need help with. Tell me what financially the kids need, right? And the reason why I want to do that is because I can see where my money is going. I can see that I feel like I, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to give up on all the other charities I do, I give up to two. But I can see something tangible that really I made a difference with. And I think that's what we're all looking for um, in our donations is show me, make me feel good about the money and I'll give you more. And uh, so I, I really believe what you're saying, uh, Tom, about the thank you being the core of fundraising. Um, yeah, it's the emotional, it, what you were talking about for your university, if you can see the form behind that e email that came to you, if you can see, oh dear, fill in blank first yeah. name, then that's not a good, e <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's, that's a dead giveaway. We, you know, we, all of us are trained. Most of us, uh, you know, we get, we get an enormous amount of, um, activity in our mailbox and in our inbox for email and people, you know, we, we're trained to recognize the, uh, the robot that is behind some of this stuff. And, you know, is it easy to do it the other way? Uh, well, it's a cultural shift. Um, one of the, one of my um, chair, one of my clients is a big, charity that raises money for refugees here in the United States. It raises money in the United States for refugees overseas. And they have a staff that does nothing but call first-time donors within 48 hours because they, you know, trust the research, they respect the research, and asks those donors, why did you make that first gift? Now, that's an interesting question, and it came, comes out of a guy, a researcher in London named Richard Radcliffe, and he uh, has spoken to over 25,000 donors in focus groups about their motivations for giving. And uh, one of the things he said, um, based on that experience, his experience, his depth of experience, is that 
donors are quote unquote this these are his verbatim words staggeringly ignorant of the causes they support but he didn't mean that was a bad thing he meant that they were giving for their own reasons they were giving because of values they were giving because of personal experiences they were giving because they were moved they were they're giving for all sorts of reasons fears hopes anger etc etc and you uh he said the best question you can ask them is why did you make that first gift because it was triggered by something and it was triggered by something inside them. And the more you understand the motivations of your donors, the, the more likely it is you can say things to them that actually matter to them. Yeah, I, I know with the university in particular, you know, they have 550,000 alumni. And I, you know, I know what happens is you know, the $5,000 that I donate a year isn't enough for them to get me on a high, a higher priority list of, of them, yeah. you know, so, you know, which is funny. Cause like uh, one of my, uh, one of our friends, uh, close friends is in fundraising at, at another smaller college. And she's like, and it's a prestigious college, but she's like, she's like, if someone donated $5,000 to our college, I'd be on the phone with them, thanking them. You know, so, so, you know, at the issue you have at, you know, major university, but uh, the reason I, I raise that issue is, you know, people who have, I'm sure all, many, many nonprofits all have this issue about a cutoff point, you know, of saying, okay, well, this person donated $25, you know, should that person get a personal call? If I have, you know, uh, 2000 donors. I just, I'm never going to get to everybody. And so they have to have some type of cutoff point, right? Yeah. They, they think that, um, I think the, I would tip, put that on its head and say, how can we thank every new donor? You know, you're talking about 2000 donors. There are uh, at the size of the charities that you are serving, that would be the 5 million and below it's unlikely that they have 2000 donors. Yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, I know, you know, very, um, high powered fundraisers, very successful fundraisers. That is, they're bringing in a ton of money, um, 10 times their salary, which is kind of a benchmark for a, an effective professional fundraiser, 10 times their salary. And what do they do? Well, they start every day, with phone calls to donors and they do that every day and they make one or two or three, however, whatever their run rate is. And, you know, in a working year, you can call a lot of people. (laughs) And and if you don't reach them, you email them, but you, you don't email them from your robot self. You email them from your personal self. I just wanted to say hi. And I know, you know, it's, um, how you doing? which is one, you know, in the pandemic age has become one of the favorite, op- you know, instant openers for email subject lines. Yeah, there is a, a company that I had on here, which I thought was a really good. It's, a, in a, it's an Australian company. I had them on the podcast and um, their name is Bongiorno. Uh, and they, what they do is they allow you to really easily uh, create a video 
using your phone and getting it out to your uh, donors. And, you know, it, it was like it, the, the thing that I thought was really good about it. This is not so much about a thank you, uh, although you could do that. This was also about showing where your money went and how it really helps somebody. And I think there is, you know, there, if you can't do the personal phone calls, you know, maybe there is some type of technology out there that can make it a little bit more personable. Maybe that helps. I know that's like a, that's not sending the right message about what we're talking about today. You know, put a technology thing behind it. I think we're talking about being more personable. I mean, would you agree, Tom, that that's really what we're saying? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're trying to be, well, human. You're an organization yeah. doing, let's hope, amazing work. And you can't do that work. And this is actually a core message that a lot of charities don't uh, promote very well. You cannot do that wonderful work without the support of a lot of hearts out there that are saying, yes, let's get this done. Let's get this problem solved. And many charities, they want they, what they focus on is how good do we look, which is not, you know, if you don't, if there's no obvious need for my help, then I will give it to somebody else. Um, people who are, you know, reliably generous, who make gifts to many charities or even a handful of their favorite charities, um, they are not, you know, they're they're not going to stop giving. They, they are charitable. That's part of their identity. But what they will stop is giving to you because you're not providing them with any emotional gratification. It's, you know, it's the robot talking. Let me ask you a question. Um, this, maybe we could start off with the smaller nonprofits you deal, you've dealt with. I know that you still pretty big size, but if I went to them, or if you went to them and say, said, what's your thank you policy? Would they have that in place? Would they know no. what that meant? <clears throat> no. And I, I, you know, I'm not, um, personally, I'm, I'm kind of policy averse. Uh, it just, it's, it's, I hate the paperwork aspects of it. Um, having, but knowing that the research supports that 48 hour, uh, window where you respond to somebody who is a first time donor and say, you know, basically welcomed them to the family, knowing that that that's the Paul, that's the first policy you need. Um, second policy is we also have to report back to them. So what's our mechanism for that? And it doesn't have to be fancy pants. I'm not talking about, you know, full color printed newsletters and all the rest of it. Although sometimes that's, you know, that can do very well for charities. Uh, it, all it needs to be is a personal letter from the executive director. And that doesn't mean the ED has to write it just somebody who is articulate and friendly should write it. And then the ED just signs it. Um, but basically catching people up, Hey, you're part of the family. Here's that, you know, here's that family Christmas letter that we send out every year. Only we're going to do it, you know, four times a year because uh, lots happening here. And, uh, thanks to you. You know, there's your most important, um, what is that called? Uh, boy, because this, there's an acronym in, um, uh, 
donor communications, B, boy, B-O-Y, because of you. It's kind of a default. And it's how you, you know, if, you, if you're having a kind of a dull day, you can start your statement to a donor with that because of you. I just want to, I'm writing to you today to just to tell you, I'm not asking for another gift, although we did throw in an envelope just in case, but I'm writing to you to let you know what's happening because of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I think we, uh, you know, this is a a subject that can go on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think we just uh, touched upon the main theme, which is, uh, you know, having, you know, thought through your thank you making it personable. Um, it's really all the time we have for you, uh, our listeners today. Um, but I'd like to thank so very much Tom Ahern from Ahern Communications, A-H-E-R-N, for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please also consider giving us a review to make sure we get the word out. The podcast, nonprofit MBA podcast has become extremely popular. I'm very proud of it. And I think if you're an executive director and you just listen to all the guests that we have, you, you, you will really learn a lot. This is great thought-provoking stuff. Uh, and of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 862- 207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Tom, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, I have a website as everyone does. Um, and it is, uh, if you, it, actually, if you just Google e, Tom Ahern, Ahern, uh, you'll go right to it, I'm sure. And it has the URL there. I just got to, is how bad I have to check my own URL. <laughs> it is, uh, ahern.com, C-O-M-M dot com, C-O-M. And uh, if you go, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's quite popular. It's a how-to newsletter. And uh, it's got about 11,000 subscribers. And it comes out, you know, when I have something to say. Um, And it's meant to be helpful. Very good. Tom, thanks for coming on today. Well, Stephen, it's been my pleasure. And thank you for doing this. I want to thank all of our listeners out there. You guys have doing all the heavy lifting on a constant basis to make the world a better place. Don't forget to pat yourself on the back. Um, I know you always think there's more to do and you can do more, but it's been a difficult year and uh, we really all need to do our part and you guys do the heavy lifting again. So everybody have a fantastic day today. 